audacity, shameless audacity. And I want to talk to you about prevailing prayers. We're going to go to Luke chapter 11, 5 through 13. But in case you're wondering, I am preaching on the topic of prayer. And I'll probably dedicate this Sunday to this topic, and I'll probably preach next Sunday about prayer. And prayer is often one of those overlooked things that is so important in every one of our lives. Prayer should be the first thing. Prayer should be the thing that whenever we're wondering about what direction, decision we should make, we go to the Lord in prayer. Prayer should be the thing that whenever we uh, are wondering if, if, um, which path we're to take in life, prayer should be the first thing. Whenever we go to make a decision, prayer should be the first thing. When we go to make a purchase, prayer should be the first thing. Whenever we do anything, prayer should be the first thing. God, is this your will? Not my will, but your will be done. And sometimes we often proceed in our own will. Amen? How many of us will agree to that and say, yes, I do that. I catch myself doing it. And I've found, though, there's, there's a big difference in my life whenever I'm spirit-led and I allow God to have His way even when it doesn't make sense. It seems to work out a whole lot better than for myself whenever I make my own decisions. And I found this to be true in everything. Matters of business, matters of purchases, matters of uh, what to do with my family, what direction should I go with my family, even what direction I should go in my own personal life and things that I should hold on to, let go of, or commit to God. And I found that whenever it doesn't make sense to just submit myself, push myself to do what God is urging me to do, and I found that it works out a whole lot better and there's always some blessing that I never imagined is on the other side of that. Amen. So Luke eleven five through 13, he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, on his journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now if this scripture seems odd to you, uh, families oftentimes shared bedrooms. Homes were not like now where we have, you know, three bedrooms to a house. There was really just one bedroom, and they would share the house. Upstairs was for people. Downstairs genuinely, usually, were for animals to be brought in and kept safe. And so here we have the picture. Jesus is talking to his disciples that a friend has come to the door, is knocking, saying, I have no bread, can you help me out? Uh, I'm in need, I've got a guest that I'm trying to meet the guest need. And the friend says, don't bother me, leave me alone, go away. I've already shut the door, I've already got all the animals inside, my family's in bed with me, we're all settled in, we're getting ready to go to sleep, uh, go away. The next verse, so I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil... Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples. How, how many of us say, I'm a, I'm a disciple of the Lord? So he's saying, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Before we go on, why don't we join together in prayer, let the Lord speak to us today. God, we magnify you, we praise you, we worship you. I ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts today. God, bring us closer to you, Lord, closer in line with your will. God, help us to move forward, Lord, to the revival that you have for every one of us and for this church, the purpose that you want to do in our lives, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory and honor. Amen. Amen. Understand this, God wants us to bring our needs before Him in prayer. He's not wanting you to keep a hold of your need to yourself. He's not wanting you to hold on to it for yourself. As a matter of fact, He would have that we would share our need with Him, even though He knows them before we'd even ask. And He also would have that we would share our need one with another, bear one another's burdens. That is His desire. And so Jesus exhorts us to be audacious in bringing our requests before God. Hebrews 4 and 16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're to come boldly into the throne room. The Lord wants you to approach Him. He wants you to ask of Him what you have need of. In Luke 11, our Lord gives very similar instructions. In verse 8, he says, I say to you, though he, the friend, will not rise, give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Notice what's happening. He will not rise and give because he is his friend. You're not always going to receive everything because Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That's not why you're going to receive it. There are going to be some times where it's your persistence in prayer that's going to pay off because you knock continuously at the door, because you continually ask, and because for some time you have given yourself persistently to seek. At some point, the friend in the bed is going to get up and give him as many as he needs. He's just going to get up and give it to him just because he needs some peace. This principle of prayer is response to a request by Jesus' disciples. They came to him at the beginning of chapter 11 in verse 1. He was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. The disciples saw in Jesus' approach to prayer something 
that left them they needed to learn more about. They understood Jesus' prayer was effective. There was something happening, not just in the physical, but in the spiritual. And when they saw Jesus pray, they said, Lord, teach us to pray like you're praying. Teach us to move heaven and earth like you're moving heaven and earth. Teach us to touch the throne room of God just as you had just done. Teach us what we don't understand yet. James, the half-brother of Jesus, knew the kind of prayer that Jesus was praying. He knew the kind of prayer that hinted impact. And so in James 5 and 16, he wrote, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, 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 the one that moves heaven and earth, the effective fervent, that word fervent is passionate. That passionate prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let me tell you, prayer is not just going and speaking to God and having a moment with him. But sometimes You have to get passionate in your prayer. You have to get effective. You've got to get moved to the point where you're passionately pleading with God and calling on His name and saying, Lord, I need you in this moment. Prayer, prayer, that kind of prayer is effective. That kind of prayer moves heaven and earth. That kind of prayer dispatches angels. That kind of prayer touches the throne room of God. That kind of prayer changes people's lives without us ever having to lift a finger to help. That kind of prayer changes things. History is made and changed by that kind of prayer. Your spiritual life is made and changed by that kind of prayer. The prayers you pray are the most effective spiritual thing that you can do for any situation that you find yourself in. God intervenes in the affairs of individuals because of prayer. You don't need the pastor to step into anything and everything. Sometimes you need God to move. And the only way to have God move is for you to get passionately in love with pursuing His presence and calling on His name and saying, God, I need you in this moment moment. God intervenes in families because of that kind of prayer. God will intervene in churches in response to that kind of prayer. In fact, God has changed the destiny of nations because His people united together in fasting and prayer. I'll show you in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Judah was being threatened by an armed invasion. King Jehoshaphat is his last end. He didn't know what to do. They're going to be overrun and overwhelmed by three enemies. And he called the whole nation to prayer and fast. And all of the nation of Judah stood before the Lord. Husbands and wives and their little children all stood before God in prayer and fasting. Now, if the enemy is at the gate, do you think that they were just standing there and saying, Oh Lord, we need you please help us in this moment our worst moment that we've seen no you better believe there was some wailing and there was some crying and there was some pleading and there was some calling on the name of the Lord there was something that moved God in that moment God responded by turning those three nations that had come against them to turn against one another 2 Chronicles 20 and 24 says that when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, the Lord had told them, 
You just stand fast. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your fasting. I know what you've done. And you go out and whenever you get there, you just stand fast and firm. The enemy's going to be defeated. And they watched as the enemy consumed themselves. And they came to the place overlooking the wilderness. They looked toward the multitude. And there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. There wasn't a single enemy left because they prayed. There was no one who escaped because they prayed. There was no enemy left to stand against them because they prayed. And they did not do a single thing. God did it all when He turned the enemy on itself. Prayer, effective prayer, changes things. Passionate prayer changes things. In Jonah chapter 3, the people of Nineveh responded to Jonah's half-hearted warning. Jonah didn't really care if they turned or not. He wasn't really uh, hoping that they would. He just went out of obligation to escape the judgment of God that had come upon him. And Jonah's warning of judgment to them when the king proclaimed a fast for the people. And he didn't just stop with the people. He said, your animals are going to fast. Don't even let your animals eat. Have no food. Nineveh was spared from destruction for nearly two centuries. Nineveh continued to be a wicked place. They eventually went back to the same things that God had called them to repent of. But for two centuries, God did not destroy them because they prayed. Jonah 3.10, the God... Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster He had said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Let me tell you what God wants in this day. God wants an intercessor. He wants someone who will stand in the gap between humanity and Himself and will pray the prayer that needs to be prayed so that souls can be born into the kingdom. When Israel had turned away from God in Ezekiel and had started to worship the idols of neighboring nations, God desperately wanted to spare Jerusalem. You can see it in the reading. God did not want to judge them. God did not want to pour out His wrath on them. He wanted to spare Jerusalem from the judgment that His righteousness said had to happen. And so He sought someone that would stand in the gap before Him. He looked for someone that would be there, that prayed the prayer, that was effective, that was passionate, that was fervent, that was hot with fire, and he found no one. Ezekiel 22, 30 through 31, so I sought for a man. The Lord is seeking for a man. The Lord is looking for a man or a woman that will pray these kind of prayers. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. I couldn't find a person that was praying that kind of prayer. I couldn't find a person who would respond to my call to pray that kind of prayer. Therefore, I've poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I've recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. 
No one could be found that would pray that kind of prayer. No one could be found to respond to the Lord calling them to prayer. Lord, help us in this time that we would respond to your call of prayer because we are called to stand in the gap for those who are blind to truth and have turned away from God. That's his call to the saints. Not everyone is given the gift of intercessory prayer, but every one of us has a call to intercede, to stand in the gap. There is no prayer. There is no prayer like the prayer made in the right season. A prayer able and capable to make change. We call those kind of prayers prevailing prayers. It was the right season, it was the right time, and I prayed that prayer and God responded because God was looking for someone to pray that particular prayer. Every prayer has the opportunity to be a prevailing prayer. Let me tell you why. Because we have and we serve a prevailing God. He has given us victory already. He has done the work. It's already been finished. But our church and you and I, we are called to be the people that bring about His purpose and His kingdom on this earth. In Sewanee, there's no other church that's going to do it. It's going to be this church. In Gwinnett County, there may not be another church that responds to the call. It could be this church. God is calling for people of prayer to pray prevailing prayers that would change the atmosphere of this city, of this state, and of this nation. Throughout Scripture we can see example after example of the miraculous things that God has done. And over and over what we see preceding the things that He acted out and He did, there was prayer prayer. Elijah prayed and fire fell. Elijah prayed and false prophets fell and died. Again, Elijah prayed and a little cloud appeared and rain fell because Elijah prayed. Elisha prayed and the waters of the Jordan River rolled back. He prayed again and a child was restored to life. Something happens when God's people begin to pray. Hezekiah prayed and the shadow on a sundial moved backward as God reached his hand down and turned back the time dial on that sundial. He prayed again and his life was prolonged another 15 years when he was scheduled to die. Moses prayed. Exodus 32 and 32 says, Yet now, if you'll forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. He was standing between God and judging his own people. And he said, If you're not going to forgive their sin, then you go ahead and you blot me out too because you're not a God of righteousness. You're not a God of mercy. You're not a good judge. You're an evil God. Just blot me out. Joshua prayed. The sun and moon stood still until victory was gained. Something happens when God's people pray. 
Hannah prayed and wept in the temple. And because of her prayer, Samuel was born. And Samuel was probably one of the greatest priests and prophets that ever walked the earth. And it was all because Hannah, a woman who could have no children, prayed and sought God and said, Give me a child. Give me a child. Give me a child. I want to tell someone today, prayer works. Prayer works. It worked then in Scripture. And it works now today prayer still works it's been working throughout the ages and it's never stopped there were 1200 men that would meet Charles Spurgeon every Monday night for a prayer meeting and they shook their country John Wesley prayed two hours a day and preached no less than four times a day until his 80s and we can see the Methodist churches that are planted all across this part of the country because of one man who prayed no they're not the same as one he was walking around and leading them and guiding them but they're still here because he prayed David Brainerd carried such a burden for Native American people that on one occasion while walking through deep snow he fell upon his face and he began to pray and as he prayed his clothes began to come drenched with sweat and the sweat turned to ice and his clothes froze he wrestled for the souls of the people that he loved because he had such a hunger to see God move in their lives. John Knox prayed. He said, God, give me England or I'll die. Give me England or Scotland or I'll die. And well on in age, he needed help getting into the pulpit. Then as he prayed for the lost souls of Scotland standing at a pulpit, his strength would multiply. The pulpit would shake. The threatening would fall under. Uh, there would be a threatening to fall under the, the thunder of his burden and his passion and preaching because he prayed. One writer wrote that Queen Mary of Scotland once said of John Knox, she feared his prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. If you understand history, Queen Mary filled the jails with Protestants who were hunted down. John Knox was so stirred that for hours upon hours he spent on his face pleading with God before Scotland. One of these seasons of prayer, he finally broke through in prayer. And John Knox sprang to his feet declaring, Deliverance has come. Deliverance has come. And right in that moment, there was a rider being dispatched with the message and proclamation, Queen Mary was dead. If we consider the history of all church revivals, the days of Luther, Wesley, Finney, Moody, They're all characterized by one thing, the power of prayer. Those revivals began with prayer and they ended because their followers did one thing, they neglected prayer. The great Pentecostal movement that started at the turn of the previous century started with one thing, prayer, prayer, prayer. They shook the cities of Los Angeles and Houston and the state of Kansas and many other places with miracle signs and wonders. And it wasn't because they found a new God. It wasn't because of a brand new doctrine. It was because of prayer. They were moved in revelation in prayer. That's why. What started with 60 people at an old church went on for three years as Azusa Street growing to be more than 1,500 people trying to pack that little church within the first year. 
People from a diversity of backgrounds came together to worship. There were men, women, children, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, illiterate. They were educated. All of them from different spheres of the world. People of all ages flocked to Los Angeles. They came with skepticism or they came with desire to participate. But they came to see what was happening because of prayer. The intermingling of races and the group's encouragement of women in leadership was remarkable as 19. was the height of Jim Crow era of racial segregation and it was also 14 years prior to to women receiving suffrage in the United States. And so worship at 312 Azusa Street was frequent and spontaneous led by prayer with services going almost around the clock and the Los Angeles Times and other newspapers were not very kind to describe them. They give them this kind of description. The night is made hideous in the neighborhood by the howlings of the worshipers who spend hours swaying forth and back in a nerve-wracking attitude of prayer and supplication. They claim to be filled with the Spirit. They have a one-eyed, illiterate Negro as their preacher who stays on his knees much of the time with his head hidden between the wooden milk crates. He doesn't talk very, very much, but at times he can be heard shouting, Repent! Repent! And he's supposed to be running this thing. They repeatedly sing the same song. The Comforter has come. It was a revival that shook our nation. Prophecy was given during this revival at some unknown point by some unknown person. And nearly a hundred years later, it sounds a warning for us today in Branches Church, in the apostolic movement, the Pentecostal movement. It said this, in the last days, three things will happen, this great Pentecostal movement. I feel like we're in the last days. There will be an overemphasis on power rather than on righteousness. Listen, we have to have righteousness. Without righteousness, without holiness, we will not see the Lord. The second thing they said is there will be an overemphasis on the gifts of the Spirit rather than on the Lordship of Christ. The gifts of the Spirit should operate in the church, but it's because the Lord is operating in the church. The final thing that they said that gives me pause this morning is that there will be an overemphasis on praise to a God they no longer pray to. And I think I could take this prophecy and I could apply it across multiplied denominations, organizations, and types of churches. Because we're enthralled with worship and we're more than happy to have a worship experience and a praise meeting. We're not having enough prayer meetings. We have to have prayer. We have to have prayer. Luke 11, 5 through 6, the Lord said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight? And say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on this journey. I have nothing to set before him. The neighbor kept up the audacious knocking and asking. Finally, he gets what he wanted. It's not because of friendship. It's not because of lordship. 
Jesus told a parable of a woman who refused to take no for an answer. She needed and wanted justice. The judge got weary of her coming. The only thing and her greatest hurdle that stood between her and what she wanted was this judge. In verse 4 through 8 of Luke 18, Jesus said he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. He said, I'm, I'm going to give up at her continuous coming. I'm finally going to surrender. Luke 18, 7 through 8 says, And shall God not avenge His own elect who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? Our God is a God of long suffering. Sometimes we got to get a hold of Him and pray and pray and pray and pray. Your miracle's not just going to happen because you ask one time. Your answer's not going to come just because you ask one time. You've got to pray and you've got to pray and you've got to pray. It's got to be fervent and hot and passionate and effective. It's got to move God off of the throne. Jesus gave us a model for prayer. And his intention was not our repeating his words when he taught the disciples. But it was for us to come shamelessly with a lot of audacity to ask what he has promised. Look at the things that he puts in front of his disciples. If you have a measure of faith and you pray and say to this mountain, be thou removed. Now, he could have chose something a lot less spectacular. He said, pray and this tree will be moved. But he said, a mountain. I'm talking about audacious prayers. And he gave simple instructions. And his instructions were to ask, to seek, to knock, to be relentless, to ask, to seek, to knock. Verse 9 through 10, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Now he says this right after he talks about the friend coming and repeatedly beating on the door, arousing his friend from his sleep and saying, just give it to me until the friend says, okay, I'm going to give it to you just so you'll leave me alone. He says, you ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and who seeks finds to him who knocks it will be open. Verse 13, 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is His promise. And I want to talk to you today, if you've not received the promise of the Holy Spirit with the experience that they had in Acts chapter 2, speaking in tongues is evidence. I want to encourage you. He gave you a promise that you would experience it. And He said, all you've got to do is you've got to ask, you've got to seek, and you've got to knock. And sometimes for some people it may be easy. They just ask and they get it. For others it may be asking and seeking and knocking and spending time. I knew a man 
man one time. It took him years. I remember I was in Bible college whenever I got the message from my dad that old Brother Burke had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. His son had grown up and went on to already be a pastor. But Brother Burke stayed there faithful in church asking, Lord, give me what is supposed to be given to me. Fulfill your promise to me. And in his 80s, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. That's the kind of prayer that moves God. It's somebody in faithfulness not saying, I wonder if I'm going to get it or maybe I'll receive it. But it's someone who has the audacity to say, God, you gave me this promise in your word and I'm pleading you one more time. Answer that prayer. Answer my call. Answer what I'm asking for. Prayer. Prayer. I'm coming quickly to a conclusion. If you've not experienced it yet, ask, seek, knock until you've experienced it. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost had fully come. They're all with one accord in one place. Verse 4 tells us that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. This is God's promise for you and I. He didn't stop giving it out. He hasn't shut it down. He's still doing what His Word says He'll do. In verse 33, Peter is preaching And he answers the question of people that were standing there saying, well, what is going on? Are these people drunk? Verse 33 says, Therefore being exalted the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise, the promise that every one of us has promised, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. You see and hear. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something you can see and you can hear. When it happens, you know it. Verse 37, they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what, what shall we do? What do we need to do? This is the only place in Scripture where you're going to find an individual saying, what do I need to do? And the answer coming. And saying, this is what you do. If you're looking for an answer of how you meet God, this is the answer. It's the only place in Scripture where it's given. Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not a different gift from what they just had same gift it goes on to say for the promise the promise that the Lord has given is to you to your children to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call remember what the Lord said in verse 13 he said if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's got a gift for you. 
He's got a promise for you. Just ask, seek, knock. Do it until you've experienced it. Until you know without a shadow of a doubt. If you'll stand with me. I'm going to talk to our church for just a moment. We're on the verge. We are on the verge of the greatest revival. All revivals begin with prayer. All revivals begin with prayer. Persistent, prevailing prayer, audacious prayer. Audacious prayer. God, save my family. Save my brother. Save my brother's family. Save my extended family. God's Save the people in my neighborhood. Save the people in my city. Audacious prayers. God, let me be a walking miracle. When I show up to work, people say, I need you to pray for me this week. I need you to help me this week. I need you to pray for me now. Audacious. What kind of audacious prayer do you have for Him? Every head bowed and every eye closed. God, you see every person in this place. God, you spoke to their heart as I was preaching something very specific for them, to them. God, we're getting ready to go into a season of prayer and a season of fasting, a season of seeking You. God, I pray at the middle of this year, Lord, that You would help us. God, move into the purpose that You have for every one of our lives and for this church. God, I desperately want to see it. God, we're hungry for it. God, we desire it. When we slow down and we get away from the busyness of life and work is laid to the side, God, and we really think and we come to ourselves, we hunger and thirst for your righteousness. We want you. We want your presence and we want your promises. God, I pray that you would help us God, to move into that season of audacious prayer, a fervency of hot fire praying, God, touching heaven and earth, Lord, and moving things and walking boldly into the throne room of God. God, those crazy prayers that we've had, that we've kept in the back of our heart, the back of our mind, Lord, that we bring them to the forefront and we begin to pray with authority, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, knocking and seeking and asking. God, seeing those miracles happen. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want us to turn this sanctuary 
into a large altar call. So normally I, I know that I ask for people to step forward, come to the front, and let's join together as a family, church prayer. But right now, I wonder if we could just seek the Lord. Maybe you want to turn your seat into a kneeling bench and you want to pray and seek the Lord. Whatever that audacious prayer is that you just feel on your heart that I need to pray. We don't have to start in August on a Monday night. We can start today. God, I pray that the country of Turkey would have a missionary that would break through in the Muslim communities in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that there would be healing in our families. God, the deep wounds that... that divide and separate us Lord that are of our own making God I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that there would be healing 